you literally fan might be favorite. the fan favorite. Yeah. Like oh number God. one fan favorite. Well, no I, pressure. No I, pressure. I feel the. I feel it. I love it. <laughs> I feel the love. We're so happy to have and, you back. And um, only because I, I uh, cajoled you, I think. No, no. <laughs> you were coming back no matter what. Uh, you, you look so tan. Thank you. Uh, Is that a thank you or not? <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, I, I'm outside a lot. Josh does yeah. not believe in sunscreen. Is that right? I know. I do a little. No, you don't. Know. Know. Josh, can yeah. I um, it, refer you to my... Dearest college friend Deborah, who is a uh, dermatologist. Why? Because I feel like she wants to do a full body scan, and uh, yeah, exactly. She want to make sure you don't have any any little melanoma or anything. I haven't saw. I I see Doctor Cliff Burke. Okay. On the North Shore of Long Island. Wait, you, and but, uh, but don't you know that Jews are prone to skin cancer? You think because you're half I Irish, do a, you don't you're not going to get it? I do a body check. They block, are you they, half Irish? They I don't block think I knew out, that. They block out the doctor's uh, calendar for a week. Only and the I good do half. A, a full body oh scan. My God. Uh, who's got my volume? Jill, I'm Irish on my mother's side. You need to come up or down? Up, please. Uh, on your mother's side? Yeah. So what? My mother's family's from uh, Ireland, and my father's family's from Eastern Europe. Really? So they so, got the worst of, of both worlds, basically. Why is that? I don't know. It's a tough genetic... Well, look. Uh, I, yeah. Hold on a second. <laughs> I'm not going there, but just... Why do you say that? Uh, it's just a tough genetic makeup. To it's it's not a very common one. It's only in New York kids. Right. Right. It's like, like, like a Brooklyn wedding. So my my parents met. My mother was my father's secretary at Burlington. Oh the, my gosh. In the garment center. Co- yeah. Co- coat store. Like in other words, it's probably would be illegal what? how they met. It is a coat now. store. Yeah, it is Burlington it is. Coat Factory. Well, that yeah. was where they took the excess. That's where they took the excess textiles. Yes. And hastily sewed together Nicole's some shit. Nicole's laughing like I, don't, <laughs> like, I don't know from fashion. No, you just said it like- A Garmando. You know where they went on dates? Uh, Dorian's Red Hands. Oh, gosh, Dorian's. That's where like bad where they things would go, happened. That's where they would go out on dates. Is that better? Headphone volume? That's much uh, better. Joe, I need a ruling on something from you. Okay. Don't get upset, okay? I love you. You're my brother. I love, I love them both. I love them both. Say? I want to hug you both. What I can't can even tell you. Say? I want to adopt so, you as my children. That's going to so, upset me. So we're, so we're in a... Uh, oh, I know, we're, I know what you're saying. Gum? Yeah. We're, okay. Tampa. Tam- all right. So we're in, we're in Tampa. Yeah. Um, With which, Kathy Wood. At a very chic... Not a Jew. No, we're at a really nice... Not a Jew. We're at a really <laughs> nice restaurant yeah. in, in Tampa. Okay. We're at... Uh, that's where um, Instagram models go oh, to, to influence. Like, yeah, okay. that's how you know it's yeah. classy. Edition. Yeah. The Edition Hotel, they have a restaurant called Market. It's like an Italian restaurant. There's no, it's like not a lot of people there. It's, there was it's, three, it was empty. All right. Okay. It's nine o'clock at night. Anyway, but it doesn't even matter. It matters. Because it's it unacceptable no matter who's in the restaurant. <laughs> oh, brother. Here, here's the setup. Well, maybe you'll disagree with me. Okay. Maybe you'll be on Team Michael. Never. We'll see how maybe. you thread this needle. Who's so Duncan. So Duncan sits down. I, I sit down. Michael sits down. The yeah. waiter comes over, takes our drink order. And there's like side plates on the table because we ordered appetizers that we're all going to share. Duncan's okay. not going to share because he's a, a vegan, but Michael and I are going to share. So there's like, all right, here's some white plates. And then I p- go to pick up one of the plates <laughs> and I put my thumb in something. Mm-hmm. And I look down and it's fucking white chewing gum on a white plate. Yeah, I mean- this is an audio medi- medium, so you can express your disgust. Okay, theater uh, of the mind. Okay. I, I just made one of those. She'll, She'll just throw up cring- in her mouth. It's a little cringy. Um, so, Michael, wait, so hold on. So he. I want to tell you how he gets. I want to tell you how he justifies this. Okay. This is cr- still crazy to me. I'm still thinking about it. He go. I go. <laughs> did you? Did you just put gum on a plate on a table that we're eating dinner at? Mm-hmm. He's like, "What did you want me to do with it?" I go, "What do you mean?" He's like. 
wouldn't it be such a dirtbag move if I like put it into the napkin that they that they that they the cloth the, napkin? Oh, the cloth, I'm not gonna do that. Or stuck it under the table. Go no, but also there's probably a garbage somewhere. The men's room. Oh. He's like. I don't know where that is. It's not like we come here all the time. Okay, there. Let me just let please, me just theater, please weigh theater in. Judge of the mind. Jill. Theater of the mind. Ju- Judge ahead. Jilly. You can now call me Jilly, which is like many people. All right, Judge who Jilly love me. presiding. Okay, uh, so was there a bar when you walked up? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who's yeah. that? It's always a bar. Okay, so I think the move is as follows. Just to be clear, um, bar, bar napkin. Bar napkin. Yeah, that's a move. That's the move, yeah, always. Move. And uh, uh, did you have and a mother- And then put the napkin on the plate. Let me ask you, is that a napkin on the, the, a paper napkin on the plate would be far better than the actual gum are, on are the plate. Are you blown away by what did you want me to do? Doesn't uh, that sound like a five-year-old? A little bit. Yeah, I was the just doubling gonna, down was but, the funniest part. He doubled but, down. But Michael, is it possible that you were waiting for your mommy to put her hand in the back of the car and say to everybody, it's time to spit, go to High spit, Holidays? Spit your your Excuse me, hand. my mother's dead. How dare you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> but she, did she do that? <laughs> no, but listen. So, this is not, do you, you don't, this is not the first time that we've had this conversation. Yes, it is. No, it's not. What do you mean? You've done this you, before? You and I have had this conversation. When? Maybe I shouldn't admit this. Duncan, delete this. You, you, we had this conversation, I don't know, I don't know how many years ago, but it's not the first time that you've, that we've done this. What? That you've put gum on a table? Yes, and you got mad at me. Oh why, my gosh. So then why did you so do then it? Why again? I don't remember, but why'd you do it again? Now you're a recidivist. Uh, just to incite violence. Never. No, you, because I like didn't worried. know what else to do with it. Now the I know. The only reason, so the, oh, the, the thing about it was that the gum was white. Imagine like a red piece of gum <laughs> no, on a plate. No, that I would not have done. Oh, so you, you sure? said, what color is my Are gum? Sure? It's white. Okay. <laughs> Are you sure? This is all crazy. Um, I have something to do before we officially start the show. Okay. Your taxes? Okay. Uh, nope. So first of all, I was late today, so I feel terrible about that. But part of the reason I was late was that I was thinking that we are sitting Shiva here. You said half Jewish. Yeah. Michael. Who died? Half, half or All full. the way. Okay. So for those of our Gentile listeners, Welcome. Uh, thank you. Uh, Shabbat shalom. (laughs) Um, so part of the thing that I was thinking is that we are sitting Shiva for a number of things, potentially either the bear market or potentially the economy Mm. or potentially humanity, because I'm very upset about this whole live golf thing with the PGA, even though I don't play golf at all, but I have many opinions. I think I disagree with you on this. Okay. It's okay. Uh, I'm happy to disagree. Okay. So for the Shiva... What oh I do, what God, do you what props. do you what do you bring to a shiva? Get a camera guys? on this. What do you bring to a shiva, ladies Mondo and gentlemen? Bread. What is that? You Ooh. bring food. A babka. Oh, oh babka. So a there is a chocolate and a cinnamon babka. My trainer is going to kill me. Okay, so I bring it for everybody in the room. <laughs> Fantastic. Because I don't know what we're sitting shiva for, but I love a shiva. By Why the does way. the live golf PGA thing bother you? Uh, Before you, th- I also love a good shiva. I know why I'm it would big, bother. Big death guy. I, yeah, me Michael's too. A, Michael's a big Michael, setter. you and I should talk. I love I, to mourn. I am into mourning. <laughs> I really am. And I told you last show that I had like a little mourning situation. Mm, I, mm. I do mourning porn. Okay. Um, anyway, so. Um, you know Wedding Crashers? I do that for funerals. Actually, I mean, that was in Wedding Crashers. That was the that end was of Wedding Crashers. Yeah, yeah. I stole so, that. Uh, so the thing about, I don't know why this live thing is bugging me. It's going right up my ass because I am worried about like this um, accepting of the Saudis as if they were like the greatest people in the world, as if they didn't kill um, a journalist or journalists, or as if they don't treat women horribly, or as if 
they did not help fund uh, taking planes down at 9-11. So, so I, it makes I, me so anxious. So I'm I'm very much sympathetic to the 9-11 families, but my take on it would be 20 years ago in, two, in 2003, hmm. we were trying to figure out how do we get these guys to stop funding terror. This was the diplomatic response to 9-11. Mm-hmm. We had a military response. The diplomatic response was, how do we stop the, the the madrasas and the terror schools and all of the money going? Because if you think about why all that money was going to fund terror in the first place, it was like the purchasing of indulgences. It was like, hey, don't look at us buying gold-plated Rolls Royces. Mm-hmm. Look at the great Satan, America. Look at Israel. Focus on that. Don't pay any attention to mm-hmm. us literally hoarding all of the oil wealth and creating these conditions of – um, of inequality where you have an endless amount of young, uh, unhappy men that you can recruit from to build your terror army. That was the state of affairs 20 years ago. There has been an about face. MBS is probably a psychopath, but he's also focused on business and hanging out with Jared Kushner and buying things and funding startups. And I think this is better that's all I'm saying. Okay. Uh, ins- okay. Okay. I, I'd rather a- them have the golf tournament ownership. Yeah. Than be. And by the way, when was the last time you heard about Al Qaeda and ISIS? And you don't hear about any of these f-ing guys anymore because the money's been turned off. The UAE, the whole Saudi Peninsula, all these countries—they're not funding terror. They're funding Jared Kushner. Which I'll is also that. frightening, but uh, you're right. I would take but that over. But isn't it better? Yes, I would agree that it's better. I still feel uncomfortable about it. I don't know why. I just have like. A little we bit. We send of the, teams to the Olympics. Most of the countries in the Olympics are not treating women as I equals. I know. I know. They, I mean, I got enough problems. We can't vouch, and we can't vouch for every. They treat objects like women. They then. treat. Yeah. So no. I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the idea that it's like an affront to the 9/11 families, of course. But I just think we don't live in a world of absolutes. We I live know. in a world of relative. I know. And, and I heard that the tour was maybe running out of money, and that you know, look, I don't play golf, so I don't really care, but. I don't know. If you were one of these guys who didn't take the money from Liv. So unbelievably (laughs) So mad. So mad. They were like, we'll give you $30 million. You're like, no, I'm loyal to the PGA. Yeah. (laughs) But now I I think that is there some mechanism by which that they have to make everybody a little bit whole or not? Like, they're talking about a tax. They're talking about a tax on the guys who did take the Liv money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I doubt that'll I doubt that'll happen. How could that hold up? Um, but basically they're going to have to pay these guys like traditional sports stars. Yeah. Now that'll be, it was, it's really probably 20 people they care about. Yeah. And it's 150 golfers that are just happy to be there. Yep. So they'll have to figure that part out. Because by the way, you are still getting paid to play a sport, which is amazing. And any of us would do that in a heartbeat. I would, I certainly would. Uh, also the longevity of a professional golf career. Much longer than anyone else. Could potentially be much longer than. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Bringing enforcement action on something you knew full well at the time was was occurring, that I don't see how how all of a sudden you make that that leap. That just seems arbitrary and capricious and vindictive almost. That that is a regulation by enforcement approach. And, you know, we met with the SEC 30 times in the last year. They never gave us a single piece of feedback about what we could be doing better. We just got (laughs) silence. And when we asked them, how would you like us to register? You know, we have this dormant broker-dealer license. Could we activate that? We, got, we really got silence. And so it's not appropriate for the regulator to come back and, and do an enforcement action if we don't have a clear rule book and clear guidance. 
Uh, you know who that is? Uh, yeah, that is the general counsel of Coinbase. Close. CEO uh-huh. has a great bald head. Oh, is I that right? I talk to you about that. You know, I was about to say, whatever he says, I agree, because as one of the balls, I got def- to defend my brothers. But he's also got like a phenomenal oh, it's perfect. head for it's, baldness. It's perfect. Uh, so, so yesterday, yes, yesterday, we're talking, what's today? Wednesday? Today, Wednesday. So yesterday around five o'clock, I get a call from CBS Morning's producer, and they're like, we want you to come on 90 seconds, explain exactly what happened with Coinbase. I said, oh, 90 There's seconds? The SEC suit? Good luck. Uh, yeah. I, I, I literally was like, um, well- uh, and I kind of, I said, look, I, I, you know, I can talk for 90 seconds and give you a lot. I said, but if you think that I get to say the word not should have registered as a security and think that the rest that like 3 million people in America are going to get that, it's really hard. And I said, so can you give me three minutes and we can do something? No, 90 seconds or nothing. I said, then it's nothing. And, you know, do a reader or something. Cause I, I didn't know what to say over in 90, 90 se- seconds. That's tough. Yeah, I think I think um, it's confusing even to people that follow this stuff because it's gonna it's gonna ultimately be a legal decision on whether or not anything any digital assets or all digital assets are securities and what is a security. What's your opinion? I think they're all securities. They're all securities. So obvious. I think I think um, I think Bitcoin is probably the one that deserves its own category because of how little central governance there is. You look at Ethereum, every year and a half, they decide to do something entirely new with the protocol. They get buy-in from all the miners. It, it's a, there's, a, there's a council. They have meetings. It's a corporation. Mm. It's just not organized as a corporation legally, but that's how it's functioning. And and the idea that, I mean, I think it's great that it's Gensler since he's like, first he's like, no, it's a commodity when I was head of the CFTC. Mm-hmm. Now it's a security. But I think yeah. that someone does need to regulate. Once they said, if you were truly decentralized and that nobody wanted anything, but you notice then when FTX goes bust, everyone's like, what about me? And now they want centralization, right? Yeah. So if you want centralization of some sort, you get regulation and so you get what, oversight. This morning on CNBC, Secretary Yellen said, Quote, we've identified a number of risks with crypto. I'm supportive of those agencies to use the tools they have. I see some holes in the system where additional regulation would be appropriate. We'd like to work with Congress to see additional regulation pass. Oh, we're supposed to start the show. Oh, well, that's an idea. We, so get, Congress, so new laws, <laughs> new laws. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen. All right, we got so ex- we got so excited to have you. We, we forgot got to start. start the show. Okay. <laughs> Can I get a knife? John, what episode is this, please, sir? Josh, episode 96. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by Josh Brown, Michael Batnick, and their castmates are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Redholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Redholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Wisdom Tree. When DGRW was launched 10 years ago. I remember that. Wow, 10 years, getting old. The big dividend ETFs of the time looked backwards to identify companies' increase in dividends 10 years in a row, which are known as the dividend achievers. And some even looked back even longer, 20 years, called the aristocrats. Doug, but did you know that? 
Now you do. That's 20 years. Those are the aristocrats. Wisdom Tree wanted to focus more on forward-looking based on premise that the fastest growth comes from the newest players. DGRW uses a forward-looking methodology that focuses on returns on equity and return on assets, as well as earnings growth to identify companies with high-quality balance sheets and a strong potential to grow their dividends in the future. Quality dividends. That's the Buffett factor. That's Buffett factor. Uh, if you want to learn more about DGRW, which is a five-star Morningstar fund as of April 30th, go to wisdomtree.com slash DGRW. All right. Episode 96. Welcome welcome to uh, your favorite show, investment uh, podcast show, The Compound and Friends. I'm downtown Josh Brown here with my co-hosts, Michael Batnick. John is in the house today. Rob is here. Duncan's here. Nicole is here. Sean is somewhere in the dock. Uh, got some summer interns here, which we're super excited about. Got so Bobka. We got Bobka from Jill. Um, and speaking of Jill, true fan favorite. Guys, we have never had as much uh, feedback on a guest before and maybe not, not, not ever again uh, as Jill Schlesinger. How oh, do you want me to rough. do that? That's right. Schlesinger. That's it. I know. Perfect. I'm so bad at that. No, you uh, got can, it. Can I tell you something? Yesterday, uh, my colleague goes, who's on Who's on TCAF this week? And I said, Jill, and I abbreviated your name. I said S-C-H-L-E-S. And I said, that looks really weird. I don't know why I did that. Jill Schlesinger. He goes, I, he's like, yeah, that was weird. Oh, you know what? I'm going to give you You have guys, a lot of silent letters in your name. Uh, <laughs> it's very ang- suspicious. It's anglicized. That's we right. have been in this country for many years. What's your actual- What's your real actual, name? What's my actual name? Schlesinger. So my, my Jewish name is Batwinik, which is horrific. Um, Thank God Ellis Island did what they did. I didn't. My family didn't come through Ellis Island. I'm mm. like a Mayflower Jew. Um, so the Schlesinger Ehrlich family came over in the eighteen in the eighteen hundreds, like eighteen sixty. Like my great 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 grandfather was like a schmata salesman to. Lincoln's army. So you're like, an, Ameri- you're like an American Jew. Sort of. So 1880s? It, yeah. The, in the 1840s, uh, no, th- they came in the 1840s is like the oh, first that's wave. Weird. Okay. So the weird thing is that, um, so the name has really totally been anglicized and it is, we pronounce it Schlesinger as yeah. if there were no CH. But it screws with every anchor across the CBS network because- you got to make a choice when you see it. So, Am I and, but, doing sh or not? Yeah. And there were 17 slug. Jews in the civil war. Your family and your family is one of them. Uh, no, we we <laughs> which, sold we sold uniforms. Side? We did not fight. We <laughs> were conscientious. Made, made and sold uniforms. Uh, my last name at Ellis Island was Braun, which they converted to Brown, but they both mean Brown. Right. It's German for Brown. Yeah. Uh, you know why all the Jews have colors in their in their names? Vi. <laughs> you don't know? No, I do not know. You ever think about it? No. Greenberg, Goldblatt. Why is that? Silverstein, Wh- Whiteside. Why? Because that's how they kept track of us. We had. The original ghettos, um, they invented ghettos for Jews, mm. and they did quadrants. So they would cut, they would cut the ghetto up in four, and they would say, "This is uh, red or oh. rose, Rosencrantz. Yeah, or, this is gold. I didn't know this. This, this is, is great. This is white, and this is green. So if you were a Greenberg, they knew where you belonged. Wow. You were, okay. So that's why almost every Jew in America, if they're not named Levy or Cohen, has a color in their last name. Wow. That's including, including me. Amazing. I yeah. didn't know that. I I went to the I think the original Jewish ghetto in Venice. Yeah, which, I did that. The museum. Course, yeah, and it, it's just sort of amazing. Also, I know you were just in Paris, so you know, of course, I'm obsessively listening to your show now. We'll get back to the show. Show. 
And um, do you, you guys, like Paris? Do you like Paris? I loved Paris. Yeah, filled with anti semites still. But yes, I don't know if it's okay. But I do love Paris. But I've been listening to the show, and ever since I was on it, you guys were so generous and lovely. And I have to report back to you that many compound listeners have come and asked me questions on my podcast. How about that? Real, like, hardcore, interesting What's personal What's Michael like in real question. life? No, not so much that, but more like um, questions about their own financial lives and yeah. doing some deep dive into that. So number one, thank you so much. Number two, um, after you guys were both so generous and you said nice things about me, in the subsequent show, Michael mentioned me again. And, um, and so now I'm so competitive that when you have someone else on, yeah. I'm like, I wonder if they were, they liked that person nobody better can, than- Nobody can hold the candle to you. Uh, let me give you, let me give you the, the full intro. Jill's an Emmy and Gracie award-winning business analyst for CBS News and writes, hosts a nationally syndicated column and podcast, Jill on Money. Prior to CBS, Jill was editor-at-large for CBSMoneyWatch.com and spent 14 years as the co-owner and CIO of an RIA. Jill got her start on Wall Street trading gold, silver, and copper options on the floor of the Comex. Jill, welcome back to the show. Thank you, thank you. Um, are we in a new bull market? Oof. Um, Can I rephrase it? Yes. That's, it's, it's a bear, is the bear market over? Those are not necessarily the same things. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I didn't ask that question. I, well, I wanted to rephrase it. Right. I love this. Um, so I saw this also. I always think, isn't it funny this that- is the New York Times. It's like- 20% is this arbitrary line in the sand. We, we have to draw right? a line though, right? Yeah, exactly right. right. Um, you know, I'm the worst at picking bottoms and tops, as my dear departed father, Albie, used to say. They don't ring a bell at the bottom of the top, so that's why we hedge. Um, so I, I think that it, it appears that companies are just printing money and profits. And so it's hard. Again, again and it's, yeah. so it's hard to, it's hard to say, wow, like, we're going to stay in a bear market if ever if if many companies, not all companies, I know, but are are actually making money and and continue to make money. That said, um, I am very uptight about the economy in general, and I always feel like there is this like sucker punch coming. That's what I always feel that way. I always, always feel that way too. So the everyone, shooter, the ev shooter drop. Everyone yeah. does. Here's yeah. here's my take: the bear market that we experience because of the Fed hiking is over. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yes. Uh, so we the S&P 500 is slightly positive. John, cut this clip and since, just hold it for me no, somewhere. No, 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 I'm no, just, no. I'm going to need no. it. I don't know when <laughs> or no. why. So all it. of the fears about corporate earnings coming down, inflation staying elevated, mm -hmm. layoffs, uh, unemployment going up, that did not come to fruition. We're now 20% off the lows. All of those fears are dead I don't want to say I'm buried. So, okay, so that bear market that we experienced is over. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we can't enter a new phase of a, or have another bear market. Right. So what we just lived through, that that's over. Eight hiking cycle, eight hikes or whatever it was, done. Doesn't mean that we can't enter a new bear Back market. Back to the question, though. Is it a new bull market? I don't 19.5% off the October low. If we get up, if we have another half percent upside day, technically— like status, the, the statisticians will record a new bear, a new bull market. Oh or no, no, the new, the new bull market has been minted. So Ryan Dietrich has a great chart showing one, two. This well, is if like it's minted. Then you can't be in, a, in in the old bear market. By I'm, definition. I, I'm I'm saying the bear market okay, died. Got it. Got it. So there are there have been like eight bear markets. 
uh, going back to the 1950s. Mm -hmm. And this shows what happens one, three, six, 12 months later after a 20% bounce. So after the bear market officially ended from a 20% bounce. 12 months later, we have never been negative. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't be negative this time. Wait, like, the median? Time, time right. will tell. So you're saying the market falls 20% or worse, triggering the bear market. Correct. Mm -hmm. Then it recovers. It doesn't have to recover all the way. It just has to bounce 20%. Right. And then the question is, well, what happens after? And uh, the median three-month return based forget, forget on— Forget about three months. Go six or fine. 12. The yeah. median six-month return is 18.8%. And the median 12-month return 27. is 27.8%. And higher 100% of the time. Again, there's a sample and size, a of, of, the time sample size of seven. So not a gigantic not, sample right. size. So, right. you know, I guess, that, do you guys have the sense that because we just lived through this once-in-a-century pandemic, that whatever was the past, it's very hard to yes. extrapolate forward? I really feel that way. I feel like, like my little spidey sense is off a little bit anyway because I'm like, well, you know— who would have thunk that we could have 33% savings rate and then just go back to living like idiotic take the, take, Americans? Right. Take all the rules of thumb you grew up with and throw them in the garbage. We just had uh, Federal Reserve do 525 basis points worth of tightening, and the labor market is accelerating. And the housing it, market freeze. Oh. And a stock market uh, pullback without a recession. Exactly right. Yeah, a 35% crash in the NASDAQ did not— did not leak over into the real economy the way that you thought of it would have, not even in California. No, not, and, and I mean, maybe the municipal finances are stinky. That's probably because of real estate also. But, you know, I just keep coming to the end of this and say, I, I kept thinking, well, there's no freaking way that we escape a deep, dark recession coming out of this. Unless unemployment stays below 4%. And inflation keeps and coming how down. Right. You, and how could, you ha how could you actually have a recession if anyone that wants a job can get one and most people are getting raises for switching? Yeah. I think, how is it possible? We've spoken a lot about tech over the last couple of weeks, mega cap tech and mm -hmm. how strong they are. I think people forget that they got killed. Yeah. Meta. Trillions in market Meta, cap So Meta had a 78% drawdown. <laughs> Netflix, 76%. Amazon, 56%. Google, 46%. These stocks, how quickly we forget, got f***ing annihilated. Yep. Right? Like, yep. they already foresaw yeah. a drop in earnings and a recession that didn't come to fruition. Well, it's in, in that respect, when you were a child in the dot-com boom and bust— did you were you in the business yet or not? I was I was like I was, I was a cold caller at a retail brokerage. Okay. I was in I was very much in. Okay. So I remember that so well because I was so um I, I was so punished because I was an investment advisor then. And in yeah. the late 90s, I could not get on top of like this tech boom in the way that clients wanted. And they're like, well, I have the, remember there was like that weird fund. It was like Hans and Franz. They were in like investors' the, the business. Munder, the Munder net net fund. Yeah, yeah, all that crap. Yeah, yeah. So everybody wanted to be. And then I'm firing you. So I like 1999 was my worst year of business because I was just, you know, uh, a regular investment advisor and got everyone left and said, I'm just going to- I killed to the it that year. I got a three series BMW. <laughs> I swear to God I did. I swear it's true. So I just was like, I was so, and I went on the I air. 20, I was 22. It was awesome. I was killing it. I love it. I was it. cold calling and I was pitching um, 3Com 
and opening new accounts with people over the phone. They never heard of me or. Could you imagine what a douchebag he was? I was the worst. I was the absolute worst. The reform broker right there. I was, I was, I was 22, Ferragamos on my feet, oh. three series black oh, BMW in the, in the parking lot, <laughs> calling you from Great Neck, New York. How's your day going, sir? And I was pitching 3Com and the pitch, and it f***ing worked. The pitch was they own Palm Pilot. They're going to spin off 10% of Palm Pilot as its own separate company. They're going to do an IPO. Mm -hmm. And then the other 90%, they're going to pay to 3Com shareholders as a dividend. So it's like a two-part story. And I swear to God, Palm went public and its valuation on the first day made it so that that 10% piece of Palm was worth more than all of 3Com. Oh, yeah. Legendary. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Legend. And Unbelievable. I was, and, and you I was were on like, it. Right. And I have to tell you, for the investor, the end investor, that is the worst possible thing that could happen is the broker is right because the next trade they did was always 5X, 10X. Okay. You so, need to send me more money immediately. Oh, yeah. So yeah. so for me, it was the inverse. And okay. I was like, okay. You were buying like uh, shoe cobblers. Right. Co Colgate or some <laughs> bullshit. Anyway, I and, and I actually owned bonds, don't forget. So um, anyway, I just got hammered, but I had gone on and very publicly said, this is going to end in tears. Yeah. And so I then that's kind of how I got like a media presence because someone saw me, heard me, and then all of a sudden that happened. And what was fascinating is I remember this is my lesson in getting my ass kicked in market timing. I got out of the way and I was spared. My clients were spared and it was a wild success for it. You have got to believe it. We had like so much money came in the door in 2000, 2001 yeah. because we had this reputation that they didn't get hammered like everyone else. Okay, great. Except- You were the last band standing fund. Yeah. Yes. Except it was very hard for me to pull the trigger to get back in. And that was a brutal lesson. Yeah. And, um, and even then, again, this is like my training as a trader. Did you look at downside first? Like, well, I'm going to- the thing's going to zero, obviously. Also, your whole, now your new reput reputation is like you're the cautious one. Yeah, and so and so I was really late getting in. But what I what feels reminiscent about the period today as then is that we thought the world was coming to an end, and it didn't. It's shocking. It didn't. And this really did feel like the world was coming to an end because when you have a once in a century pandemic, the world did kind of feel like it was coming to an end. Yeah. But in the economic cycle sense of it. It didn't feel that way. And it's shocking that, you know, even with inflation, even with 10 consecutive rate hikes, that we are where we are. It, Joe, it's people, a beautiful right, thing. People always forget, myself included, um, when all the news is bad and everything's negative, people forget like 95% of the economy is just people putting gas in their car and getting their kids on the school bus with lunch. That's like 95%. And then the other 5% at the margin, like – corporate CapEx and technology spending cycles, that's tiny in comparison to the main thing. Yeah. And the main thing doesn't go to zero. No, it doesn't. And, you know, the thing about the resilience of even the global economy, you can cherry pick and be like, oh, China's in bad shape or this one's in bad shape. Or, you know, I, I got on the Greece will drag us down bandwagon in the European debt crisis. I was literally talking to people at Deutsche Bank who were like, we're going broke. We will go broke if this thing goes down. Yeah. Like, it's bad. And I was so freaked out and I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything, but I remember talking to friends of mine who were like traders and they're like, world's going to Is zero. Is 2011? I wrote an insane blog post. I never deleted it. <laughs> Maybe I will. <laughs> now. Don't search for this. The gist was why I'm not worried about Greece or Europe or whatever. 
And my reasoning was like the actual truth, which is that rich white people will always figure it out because that's all they got. They're, they're running the show. So like the Germans, they're not going to let Greece take down the European economy because they want to stay rich and they want it like this is just this is just like the the gamesmanship and like don't these people have nothing else but to be in charge. Do you know what women say about this in, in corporate America? We call it white boy chess. That's all it is. Like it's all posture. That's how I felt about this stupid debt ceiling thing, too. These people are not going to let this get to a point where they lose their jobs. I, I will say yes, and I was a little unnerving because the people I knew in um, who were like corporate government affairs people said that the, there were some serious lunatics who just wouldn't answer the phone, yeah. and it scared them. Like yeah, there was they're just not a, accustomed to that. Exactly. It's the game behind the game normally. Yeah. And, it's and, like, hey, great TV hit you did. Uh, but, what, a, what a devil I am. Uh-huh. But – Right. And nobody was giving them that assurance at the very end. And that's why the nerves got rattled a little bit. So getting back to the market, John, Let's throw, throw this chart up, please. So somebody, Ophir, made a great chart looking at prior bear markets versus the current one. And just eyeballing it, we could roll over again. Sure. Why not? Mm -hmm. um, but this looks a little bit different than the rest. It appears that it's over again. We'll see. Uh, but here's the point that I want to make that I made with Josh last night. And what are your thoughts? Everybody came into the year, economists, hedge funds, retail, institutional money managers, everyone came into the year really afraid. You have $7 trillion, I don't know what the exact number is, of money going into money market funds. Mm -hmm. People severely underinvested, getting on the same side of the boat. And what is, the what is happening in the stock market today? Doesn't mean it can't change a week from now or two weeks from now, make me look very stupid. But right now, you have the IPO ETF hitting a 52-week high. You have Tesla hitting a 52-week high. You have the Nasdaq 100 hitting a 52-week high. You have Apple hitting an all-time high. Um, you've got all of these things. You've got the, the, the ratio of consumer discretionary to consumer staples. My point is this. Absent something knocking the market off course, which is always a possibility, mm -hmm. the chase will be on soon if, it's, if we're not already like there the yet. The second half is going to be all these people reversing their bearish posture. Yeah. And getting as much exposure So professional as they can. money managers can only stay bearish for so long. By the way, which is why I love retail investors, actually. Remember we used to call them dumb money? Yeah. They used to be like, oh, the retail investor, dumb money. Yeah. Really? Who's so dumb now? The yeah. people who are like, actually- Retail investors don't stop investing. They don't stop investing. Keep putting money in my 401k. Keep yeah. rebalancing. By the way, you know what's so funny? People, like, I'll listen to like a newscaster explain why the Russell 2000 just started rallying. <laughs> it's like, you know why it started rallying? Because these stocks have high betas and small market caps. And if you just missed Apple, Google, Michael, that's what you do. Yeah. You start buying that stuff because it, it's down on the year. And that's how you catch up. Well, I think that that's, every of, time. that's human behavior, though. Isn't yeah. that the best part of it? Those portfolio managers, they're human, right? Yeah, of course. And they, they, you like to think that the algorithm's running it? No. There's oh, actually maybe a human being. Oh, maybe the portfolio managers are bullish again because they're buying small caps. No, they're terrified. It's it's they're worried about their career. <laughs> they're so, not bullish. So you guys are fond of buying individual stocks, right? Personally. Personally. Mm -hmm. Um so what's your opinion when you meet, let's call it I like to call them the working rich, the people that you know around mm. they meet you at a barbecue mm. and they say, Josh Michael, tell me. Really, what should I do with my money? So what do you tell them? God, I get, it's like These my days, worst nightmare. Six-month T-bills. No. What do you say, Can't Michael? Go wrong. Michael, what do you say? 
I, I get very socially awkward around these situations because I hate having ca- casual conversations about this with people I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm. You we have a friend. Me. We have a friend in common, uh, Ryan. You should see me. I start sweating. It gets very ugly. Uh, but what would you say? Like, if I give no, you a truth right, what's here, the question? What's I'm going to tell you how I answer this. Okay. What's the actual question? Michael and I have a friend. Michael and I have a friend in common. My friend Ryan. I know. I know him forty years. Um, hey. We discussed a little while back, I would have some cash to put into the market from the sale of a boat. I have blank dollars to invest. Would love to know where to put, mm-hmm. maybe something with dividend, or you were saying index funds. I missed the boat on NVIDIA. Maybe that's the thing I should buy. <laughs> and it, then just, it depends whether, who, go finish it though. And then he says, um, his wife has been putting some money into Amex savings accounts with 4% yields. Call me later when you're not busy. I give him the same answer. I literally give everyone else and I get this question from strangers, from friends. I said, liftoffinvest.com. This is where I put my ex. My wife and I put our excess savings directly into that. It's easy. It works. It You could accumulate. You could do. So that's like the the automated asset management thing that we own. Yep. So, so he goes, okay, call you later. No, no, no. <laughs> Don't. I lo- Ryan, I love you. Don't ever call me because I'm not going to tell you something different on the phone. So, Jill, my, that's what I my, do. My answer to friends when they text me this, that is yeah. the same thing. Just buy just buy index funds and and leave me alone. Wait, you right. don't send them to Liftoff? Um, what do you, wait, what, what, what what, what, you what, Wait, what? <laughs> I said, no, I sent them directly to Betterment. I'm only kidding. Oh, that's fine. I'm only kidding. Um, no, but I thought that you were referring to like a stranger. For sure, he's like, hey, what no, do you think about the market? Like I, okay. Stranger, he starts rattling off tickers. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Can we tell you about like, no, but what, is, what is your question? Are you asking for- I'm asking you that oftentimes I hear you guys, you're talking about stocks, you're laughing, you're joking. And I, and I, um, I have complete religion. I do not trade anymore. Absolutely do not trade. Um, when I take risk, I take risk on my own career. I take risk about different things. I'll buy some artwork that's like oh, so out of- So you I- pinned down to a screen all I, day. Exactly. I love, um, I love obviously the stock market, but I love like the thrill mm-hmm. of being right or wrong. You I, do. I love risk. So I will never stop trading individual stocks for entertainment. Okay. But what percentage of your portfolio do you trade? Uh- Probably a little bit too high. Okay. But I'm looking at it as like a percentage of like my future portfolio. So oh, right how now- how ambitious of you. Right? <laughs> so I don't really, so I don't really trade. I invest and every once in a while an investment turns into a trade because you're wrong. Right. Or you're right really fast. Right. But I, a substantial amount of my net worth is in this firm. Mm-hmm. And this firm is very heavily exposed to the stock market. Right. So I don't need more index funds with my, my other money. Like I don't need more S&P exposure, but- so individual stocks. Also, I started out as a stockbroker, so I fall in love with story stocks mm. all the time, and I stay in love, and I listen to the conference calls, and I talk to the CEOs, maybe, and like I, that's what I like. But so and for I will, people, that, I'll hold stocks for decades. For people that are not interested, I don't recommend. Hey, start trading. Right. Like right. I recommend the opposite. Do not waste your time with that shit. Because I have found, like, even when I talk to these people who have had like incredible success trading, once they have a certain amount of wealth, they're like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm like socking it away. And I have like 5% of my portfolio is my fun money. You know, there's an alternate universe in which I am literally a villain, a bond villain. Really? Yeah. Where I'm taking calls from people like, oh my God, Josh, manage my money. And I'm like, all right, here's what we're going to do. I have a two and 20 hedge fund. I'm going to pick 20 stocks. (laughs) 
Here's the rules. Oh, James Here's Bond the, villain. I thought you meant yeah, fixed income. Yeah. Yeah, no. James Bond villain. Where where I like literally tell people that I could beat the market every year and charge them two and twenty to do that. Yeah. I probably could have done that, gone that route, but I don't believe in it. It's bullshit. It, so I would never do that. It's so funny that people want to believe that someone I know. knows. Joe, they get disappointed. I'm like, I'm like, here's what you do: figure out a dollar amount, put the same amount in every every month. Rebalance once Nobody a year. Pay Nobody. Your, pay your taxes and – I talked to 30 – somebody's 30 years old. Pay your taxes and focus on why you make um, X amount a year and how you could like double that and triple that by the time you're my age. Like that is – So people want the secret. That's all you need to do. We've had this conversation a million times. All people really want is what stock to pick. Like, yeah. That's really what they want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you, you for that tell scene them, advice, but seriously, You could what tell stop? them a million times, yeah. I don't know. I don't believe in it. I'm bad at it. No, but sir, I, no, I get all that. But like, NVIDIA. You know what else is funny? What's my upside in giving somebody in the supermarket a ticker symbol? Oh. Let's say it works. It was supposed to work. I'm Josh Brown. Yeah. If it doesn't work, I'm a scumbag. Yep. Okay. And here's what's really funny. Being in financial media, you, you, you definitely could relate to this. Like we we had uh, Kathy Wood on last week. I heard somebody's I was like already jealous. Somebody's, of her. Like, somebody's like, did you hold her accountable for? <laughs> what are you? Are you fucking high? Did I hold her accountable? What is that even? Citizens arrest? What do you want? What do you want me to do? Honestly, well, did you ask a tough question? What? Nobody could be wrong on a stock. Is that what you're saying? Let me tell you my view on that interview. Yeah. I, th- I first of all, you know, number one, I hope they don't love her more than me. Nobody loves. Obviously. Nobody loves anyone more than you. So insecure. Go ahead. Second thing was, she's so obviously not Jewish. I've never heard such optimism, unbridled optimism. <laughs> yeah, I, <know>. I, <laughs> I was. Sho- it was shocking to me. I got. I was. I was listening. I think that's my favorite part of her is that it's she wonderful. Sees the, she sees the upside everywhere she looks. Okay, and I. Her parents must have loved each other. Yeah. And definitely and, no and divorce. Nothing there. bad happened to them. <laughs> yeah. Because I I listened to that interview very intensely as I was putting together my new grill, which is a very big thing to say as a lesbian. Yeah. I almost got it done. What did you get? Uh, you got the green whatever. Bag. Some Weber that I had to say to my neighbor. I'm like, Myron, can you come down here and help me fix <laughs> this grill up to it's his name is Myron. Oh, you got the Genesis? Uh, the whatever Weber I Genesis? got. Uh, who knows? All right. Um so I was listening to your your podcast and I was like, God damn it, she really is, all I think about is like, the world will fall apart with AI. People are going to get crushed. Yeah, maybe there's productivity gains, but back to the original, let's bring it back. Like, are the people who are already advantaged going to just be more advantaged? And are we going to leave people behind, right? And and, uh, forget about the end of the world, which is who cares because we'll be dead. But that's also somewhat of an issue. I get concerned if if 10% of the people you knew said, I'm working on this thing. It's really has 90% upside, but 10% will, will actually eradicate humanity. <laughs> yeah, it's, a small, we'd be like, it's a small chance. We'd but- be like, that kind of tail risk sounds scary. Did you read Andreessen's uh, Why AI Will Save the World? Yeah. Are you buying it? I, 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 I like want it. to. I, I, I want to. I want to buy it. That's but somebody I'm, who has a lot of money invested in AI. I, I know the source, but he convinced me. Uh, I, was mo- I was mostly, I was- I'm on the fence, and I'm not all the way there, but I, I leaned over to He made some good He made points. a powerful point about how many people are currently being paid mm-hmm. to say that AI is doom for one agenda or another. Yes. And I do believe, because I remember that from the internet. Wait, hang on. We've got a whole topic on that. Can we just finish okay. the stock market oh, yeah, stuff? So, so are we – so the question is, are we in a new bull market? And the answer is yes. But I think that's unanswerable. It, I, I think you could say the bear market is over without, without – 
stamping that we're in a new without without saying that we're in a new bull market. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I, th- I will say it when we make a new high. When we get above the 2021 high, I'll say we're in a new bull market. It'll be very courageous. I mean, I, are you serious? No, but that's the con- for me. That's the confirmation. What was the 2021 high? Believe- was November of 21? Yeah. Is that right? I think October, I November think so. ish, and then the S&P no, no, no. It made was, a it new was, high. No, it was January 2022, wasn't it? Oh no, it's 21. No, was, my bad. My, my uh, uh. N- January 22. I think Nasdaq. January 22. I think January 22 right. was S&P. It was and Nasdaq was 21. The Nasdaq topped before Thanksgiving. Right. The ARK stocks topped in February 21. We had this argument chasing my guys. None of those are in the end. The S&P 500 topped on January 3rd, 2022. Okay, so we got to retake that, and then you're. Then you're convinced, Michael? Be- because- no, 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 no. Well, fair point. So that's when I you- will say confirmation, new bull market. Eh, very, co- very courageous. Yeah. I know, but yeah. it's true. By the way, you know, we talk about charts and, and taking things out all the time. And one of your shows, I heard someone mention Ralph Akampura. Mm-hmm. Yeah. FYI, greatest Ralph Akampura story for a second. Tell it. 1987, July. I am at the New York Institute of Finance downtown with a bunch of other Spearleads and Kellogg traders with a course taught privately by Ralph Akampura, who oh, wow. puts a chart up of the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 Index, and it is July of 1987, and he says, the sky's the limit, kids. Oh, wow. Let me show you why. Well, the technicians always get the most <laughs> bullish at the top well, at and the, the risk, most bearish at, at the, the risk of, of yeah. At the risk of doing the same thing that he did in 1987, if you had to press my feet to the fire, I would say that I'm not making a call a year from now, but in the short term, given what the market is doing and how underinvested people are, I think the bias is to the upside. I don't think how, I don't know. You could say anything else. I get all the risk. You're, I'm a, not bl- you're a big recency guy too. I'm not blind to the risk. Yeah. Um, and quite to the contrary, I'm always nervous. But the market is. If the Dow was down 500 points today, Michael would not be saying any of this shit. <laughs> oh, fact. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, our our friend Brian Belsky put out um, a a year end price target bump this week. Um, so can I read it? You, you doing this or am I doing this? Go ahead. All right. Uh, BMO's Belsky raising S&P 500 year-end price target to 4550, mm. upgrading tech uh, because that's been a very underloved uh, sector. Just kidding. Talk about courageous. All mm. the worries Sorry, Brian, that damaged 2022 market performance are slowly beginning to subside. Yes, earnings growth is likely to remain a sticking point, but it appears investors fully understand this and are looking past 2023 results and expecting growth to reaccelerate in 24. We expect market price momentum to persist. Um, upgrading technology from market weight to overweight and downgrading healthcare from overweight to market weight. Uh, look oh, look. The AI hype surrounding the tech sector is real and likely to propel future growth for many stocks within the space. Look at this chart. What is mm. this? So this is from, from BMO, Bellscape BMO. Revision of tech stocks, the percentage of upward mm. revisions versus downward. We had all of the downside revisions in 2022. Obviously, analysts took their estimates way down. And we're in the rising. opposite camp. We're rising. And I just keep coming back to this point. When, I'm using air quotes, everybody is expecting the, the, the sky to fall. And we're not seeing it in almost any of the data. I know there's indicators showing that the sky is about to fall, but it's not happening. And the market is saying the exact opposite is happening. It is my bias to listen to the market and not everybody who's saying something different. And I believe so much in psychology. And so I think that when everyone gets their second quarter statements and all the clients and all the managers have to feel the phone calls and say, like, you guys suck. 
Why, why don't I just buy what? Why didn't I just buy the index? Why don't, you, why don't you own Microsoft? Yeah. What? What? Yeah, where yeah. are? Where were you guys? Like, I what, why am I giving you one percent? And and they're going to jam it up. Massive. That's a yeah. massive part of it. So you know, the, you know what else might be over? Inflation. How about that? I would love that because I don't ever want to do another inflation story again. And by the way, they, for some reason at CBS, now I have to be on the air live when the inflation report comes out for all the markets. And I'm like, do we still have to do this? It's going to have a three handle. They're going to say, all right, forget it. So, I mean, they're so, going to bump what? you. Exactly. You're <laughs> done. We're talking about ISM someone else. <laughs> services prices paid was the lowest since May, 2020. We, we put it this one bespoke. It's just a tweet. Yeah. In the okay. two and a half years leading up to COVID, there was only three months. So prior to COVID, there were only three months where prices paid was lower than last month. Prices paid is a component of, of the ISM. ISM services. You know what's kind of weird about the whole, um, the idea around inflation and just how embedded in the mindset it does get and that you can really hear people talk about it so much, people who can totally afford to fill up their tanks or like, I cannot tell you the number of people who are like, what about the eggs? I'm like, so don't eat eggs. They're bad for you. And then I they mean, came down also. And then they came down also. It became and, part of popular culture. There's also a big political component to it uh, because every high CPI report means Biden's doom. So there's a lot of people watching it closely for that reason. With a three-handle, it becomes less interesting. Not, Joe, last time you were here, I think we were talking about the labor market and job switchers and how much money they were making. That's over. Yeah. If you look mm -hmm. at a chart of the premium that job switches were getting and people quitting, things are getting back to normal. Yep. Not outside, but things are getting back to normal. Like, yeah. Na like nature, well, I'll say nature's healing. It's a horrible thing to uh, say Goldman, in world, but. Goldman Sachs says stocks are cheap because of AI. They are not the only firm talking this way now. Yeah. Meaning what? Um, they're getting as like they're getting as euphoric about AI as everyone else. They're just doing it with uh, uh, CFAs and spreadsheets. But this is Goldman Sachs this week. Um, quote because they've now replaced all their investment bankers with AI. It's a David Solomon's so, oh, dream. It's productivity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we assume that wide almost. We assume quote. We assume that widespread AI adoption occurs in ten years and lifts trend real GDP growth. By 1.1 percentage points for 10 years. That's what Andreessen's saying. In this scenario. Wait, each year? Annually? 1.1% wow. a year That's for 10 huge. years. In this scenario. Yeah, it's GDP growth. That's crazy. Yeah. In this scenario, earnings per share in 20 years would be 11% greater than our current assumption. And the S&P 500 fair value would be 9% higher than today. Mm. Um, this is Ryan Hammond at Goldman. I love fair value. Um, however- a wide degree of uncertainty exists around the potential productivity boost and the ability of firms to translate AI into increased profits for 10 years. Based on a range of scenarios for productivity, we estimate the benefit to S&P 500 fair value could be as small as plus 5% or as large as 14%. And we're talking about trillions of dollars worth of GDP. So those numbers are meaningful. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. Have you guys been playing with chat GPT and, and the, the like? Uh, yes. A little bit. A friend of mine, actually, we were talking about the old days from uh, the brokerage firm. Yeah. My friend, uh, my friend Stevie Rapp said, back in the day, <laughs> you used to write some of the best presentations. They weren't always the best when it came to timing, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Thanks, Rapp. He said, I asked ChatGPT. This guy's a stockbroker in lower Manhattan. I asked ChatGPT to write me a presentation in the, quote, style of Josh Brown from CNBC. You have to read this thing. It's wild. So people are playing with it and playing it with my, with my name in it, and I guess that's fun. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was just doing something. I had to do a book presentation. And uh, I I mean, I just played with it in different, I used Bard, I used ChatGPT and like build me a PowerPoint, you know, and just build you the slides. It can't actually yeah, go yeah. into PowerPoint. So, you know, some of it was good the way it laid it out. Some of it was not so great. And some of it is like actually factually incorrect, but okay. Um, the thing that I found fun to work with was Dali, the image creator. Yeah. That was wild. What it, you do, what's the coolest uh, thing that you did? It just blew my mind. I mean, you just like sort of write something that you feel like, let me look at a fish in a fishbowl looking out and looking scared. Yeah. And I was trying to, it. right? And, did and fish get scared? I don't know, but this one did. This it was one sort was. of like, I just wanted to sort of have a visual for people who feel like they've, they've built a life, they're fearful, yeah. they don't know how to get out of it. And, you know, my book will help them, whatever, you know, but like that there are ways out. But I just, it is pretty amazing. And I want to believe, I want to believe in the upside of humanity. And yet I'm always consistently um, overwhelmed by how horrible people are at the same time. Yeah, but didn't you just hear what I said about GDP growth? Yeah, I did. <laughs> it's not I good did. enough for you? It's, I don't know. It's like, it's like saying like, well, you know, well, what about democracy? Is it a dead? You know, like, and what depends? GDP growth is great. And I love my, my friends at Goldman Sachs who uh, very nicely have invited me to speak there, but they ain't always right. And they've been pretty wrong about lots of things. Well, they won't see the end of the world coming. Well, That's they don't have to see the end of the world even, but that not everything has an economic outcome only. That the un the, the unintended consequences for so many of these things are real. Yeah. And I just can't walk away from that part of it. Like, I think last time I was on the program, we were talking a little bit about, you're like, oh, should I care about TikTok, right? Like, should someone care that my kids- is, um, you know, it, that the Chinese are looking at what my kid's basketball schedule is. And I said, no, but maybe you would care about the Chinese being able to influence your young adult children and how they vote and how they consume news and how they uh, see society. And so it's like when we were thinking about Facebook in 2007, when it was the Facebook, no one thought, well, this is going to destroy young girls in some weird way, this thing called social media. So that's the thing that makes me, I'm worried. I, you know, this is why I don't have children. I have four-legged children because I'm worried about humanity. Well, there will be ways that all this AI stuff affects uh, society and some of them will be great and some of them won't be. And uh, I, we have no, uh, the thing is that we have no choice. No. So I know you're so right. So it's going to happen you're right. regardless. Okay. So buckle so buckle up. Uh should Jamie Dimon run for president? You ever interview you ever interview him? You must have. Um well now I can say cuz it's been so long ago. When I first got to CBS, it yeah. was the beginning of 2009 and the then president of CBS News arranged to have Jamie Dimon come in and speak to the executive producers of, of all the shows. And um, and a couple of people, and I was brand new, and oh, they just like during the crisis or right after the crisis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and he came in. He pitched you all life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> and he was he was very charming, yeah. you know, because he is very charming. And uh, I was really the only person who came from the industry because I had just gotten there, and um, and I was very taken by him. Yeah. And in the so then we get to a question and answer period and I started asking him about, well, why why shouldn't J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley just reunite, make it the old family, do this? And I kept asking questions. At some point, he's like, I don't want to ask – you can't answer, ask any more questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are a little bit hard because I kept saying like, well, what role did you have in this? You mean, Oh, I didn't need the money. Yeah, he, I didn't need the government He money. wanted to answer questions like what's your favorite color? Exactly. Okay. And so I'll tell you – so 
and you get out of it. And I call my girlfriend who was then at Morgan Stanley, you know, the company almost died. And I said, like, honey, you're not going to believe this, but Jamie Dimon, he's so amazing. He's so, he's so like um, uh, charismatic and everything. She's like, he just chopped off the head of his number two, just to be clear, yeah. before he walked into that meeting, yeah. just so you know who he really is. Yeah. He just beheaded the guy who he had previously anointed his successor. Yeah. So that's one Jamie Dimon story. My second Jamie Dimon story is that this is so great. It's a great little name drop. So I don't know, maybe a year ago or so, uh, I get a call from- LeBron James. Not LeBron James, because I would never <laughs> tell you about that. I get a call from somebody who, uh, I don't really look at the phone number. It's a 212 number. And I, I pick it up and the, here's how it sounds. Jill? Uh, yep. I think it's one of my mother's friends. Janet Yellen? Leslie Stahl. Oh, wow. I'm from 60 yeah. Minutes. So- She's like, hi, it's Leslie from 60 Minutes. Like, she's my best friend. I never talked to her before. Yeah. She says, I got to interview Jamie Dimon. I need some help. Oh, wow. So and she's just, doing a one-on-one. -on -one. happened, right? This was like a year ago, okay. right? So go through the whole thing. I said, he is going to evade every single one of these questions, but you still have to ask them. Yeah, yeah. You just have to ask them. And- it was some bullshit thing about like, oh, you know, we're giving money away to women-owned companies or environment. It was the same yeah. bullshit that like Goldman Sachs is like, oh, it's 10,000 women and it's 10,000 well, small companies. Well, that's when they do those interviews. Either they're defending themselves from something horrible or they want to do like a diversity and inclusion Exactly. Thing. So right. I, you know, we, and she calls me up after the interview. She goes, he destroyed me. Yeah. He destroyed and me. And she's maybe one of the top interviewers in the world. Probably. Yeah. I would say like the top dozen for he's sure. Good. Listen, he's good. And, uh. I don't know if he's presidential material because he's still a banker. You know, we've never had a banker uh, run for president in a serious way or, or obviously win. Mm -hmm. It's just never happened. We've yeah. had well, very wealthy people. But there's just something about that guy worked at a bank or ran a bank, especially that bank. Yeah. I I don't think – anyway, Bill Ackman uh, did a 9,000-word tweet storm. <laughs> I'm not going to read it. I, I'll give you a taste. Jamie Dimon – I don't – I can't do an Ackman impression – Jamie Dimon is one of the world's most respected business leaders. Politically, he's a centrist. He's pro-business, pro-free enterprise, also supportive of well-designed social programs, rational tax policies. He's smart, thoughtful, pragmatic. Uh, he can dance well. I don't know. This, this is a is, whole— This is so long to chat GBT write this crazy. for him. It's But can I ask a— but I, but I agree with—I wish we lived in a country where, like, the most qualified person Not wins. happening. That's not how the country works. No, I, like, I see that tweet. He's too centrist. No way. I, you know what I say? I look at that and I'm Bloomberg like, oh. Bloomberg lasted a debate. Exactly. I'm like, great way to like basically peel off rational human beings out of all of politics and let the two sides lunatics fringes win. Mo no. So most people are single issue voters that are like f most people. Yeah. And the majority of single issue voters, it's, it's about uh, taxes. taxes slash whether or not they have a job. Yep. And then after that, you have people, they're solely voting on abortion. It doesn't matter who the candidate is. And then you have the gun people. Then you have, that's, if you talk to most people, what's your, I know like Israel, like really, that's your biggest issue is Israel? I know. Yes. And I will, I will like live and die on that, my belief on that. And yep. that's the only thing I want to hear. In that world, somebody with Jamie Dimon's qualifications to run a large scale organization and make decisions that does none of that shit matters because he doesn't have a forceful enough opinion on one of those to like get the rabble uh, riled up. This part, this, this part is depressing. Yeah, uh, totally, totally. And we by don't the do way, that in this country, and and the 
I mean, it's funny when you think about money. Uh, sometimes I'll have conversations. Like I had, I had a brawl at my cousin's wedding with somebody. Guy was an old Wall Street family, and we're sitting at a table. And this must be like I feel like it was Clinton time, maybe, or I can't remember. Probably about that time. And he's like, "You're a money person. How could you vote for a Democrat?" Right. And I looked at him. I'm like. Can Clinton I get ready the, to Clinton get? Clinton is the biggest money person. I, I there said, is. I say, here, get ready to bleep. Yeah. I'm, I looked at him. I'm like, you know what? I'm also a fucking lesbian. Yeah. And I don't really like to be like voting for a party that actually makes me money, but actually doesn't appreciate who I am or honor who I am. Or and just believe you to, deserve or, human rights. Or to, to believe I deserve any rights at all. Right. So why don't you go f*** yourself? And right. I asked him to move his seat away from my table. <laughs> I said, he was a guy who used to be an old trader on the American Stock Exchange, an old, old friend of my dad. And yeah. he went to my dad. He's like, ah, oh, you know, Jill kind of gave me the business. And my father looks at me and goes, Mike, what'd you expect? What do you expect, and, dude? And who hasn't and who hasn't learned like growing up? You don't you don't you don't go to a dinner and start talking to people about who they voted oh for. Oh my god. Or they or you don't do there's no it's a, a bartender rules. If you're a bartender, there's three things you can't touch. One is religion, the other one is politics. What's the third? I what's thought there's only two. I thought, the third? Two. I thought it was religion and politics. Yeah, nah, there's another one. AI. Oh, uh, race. Oh, well, yeah, that's probably Shut like shut up. Shut up. Anything else that's under fine. the sun? And there's a lot to talk Yankees about. Yankees versus Mets, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, long story short, they ask Jamie Dimon every year at the shareholder meeting, uh, how many more years are you going to be at J.P. Morgan? And every time he says five more years. I and know. This year, and he said, this year he said two more years. <gasps> and, then, <laughs> and then he said something about serving my country. So I don't think this is like that I don't think it's a dead deal, but I don't think it's this time. No. But by the way, that's interesting, though, because you'll have Diamond and Gorman stepping down said at I the could, exact I could, same time. I could be, he also said uh, in 2018, pretty sure I could beat Trump because I actually understand, like, how the economy works. If only like, that's what it was about. Yeah, yeah. really. All right. Um, anything to say about Apple's uh, unveil? I, I, almost, one of these? I almost brought you guys an, a pair of meta <laughs> goggles that I have that have been never worn. Yeah, I mean, the one Oculus time, yeah, Rift goggles. yeah. Someone okay. got them for me. Right. Uh, my dear friend said you got to put these on. I put it on. First of all, they're not made for people with big noses, and I'm like, oh, this kind of hurts my nose. It's heavy. Yeah. And um, and I was like, you know, I'm not into this. I'm not a gamer at all. I mean, like Pong. That's about as far as I go back. And uh, I mean, I can appreciate it. it. Must be cool. Like I could see that. Like, oh, if I wanted to try to meditate, this could be good. But Mostly, I was like, I'm not into this. But if Apple's in the business, of course you want it, right? Because now it's going to be user-friendly. I, I don't want anyone else's. I just want theirs. Yeah, that's it. And, and I'll it, wait. It, look, it looks like magic. It really does. Yeah. Like, they they cracked whatever code they had yeah, to yeah. crack. Being and able to amazing. watch a movie on a virtualized 100-foot screen. On an airplane? I mean, that would be yeah. so cool. But, like, being able to sit... Being able to sit in a in a on an airplane or a train or even in your room and feel like you're in the desert. Yeah, look like, at this, and the fact that it's not blacked out yes. that you could see past it was yes. huge because nobody. It's you'll be claustrophobic. Right. You know, a lot of people say that with the meta things that they uh, get nauseous with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it's, it's and they fix. Yeah, it's going to be so. Yeah. Apple Apple has solved for that by putting by putting the um the re putting the response time to certain gestures. Right on the chip. I have an idea for Apple if they want to listen. Um, if they would like to buy— Tim, Cook, Tim Cook listens to I'm the sure. show. I'm sure. If they want to buy Paramount Global, which is the company that owns CBS, 
which made Piece a new of 50, shit stock. Yes, who made a 52-week low recently. Uh, it's like chump change for them. And you could put headsets on people where you could feel virtually you are in a stadium on a, at a sports event. Yeah. Like, that would be so oh, that's coming. cool. Mark, yeah. Mark Cuban said that he wants to make it so that um, anybody can rent the experience of sitting courtside. How much NBA would you game. pay for that? I think that's cool. If, but, if, if courtside tickets are 1500 bucks, yeah. would you spend 300 Absolutely. Absolutely. Whatever if you had the true immersive experience yes. oh my God. of or, the crowd like, around exactly. you, like, you or And if like they have a camera there, like this is our AI camera or you know our, our augmented reality camera, that would be so cool. How about this? Not only will you be able to do that, I don't know how far away this is, but you will be able to sit courtside and also look around as if you're at the stadium. Yeah, yeah. You will be able to turn around and see the crowd behind you. That's Duncan, cool. Duncan, did you... Um, you a Portlandia guy? Yeah. So do you remember when they're like, they want to go to Lollapalooza? But then they're like, oh, wait, but there's no bathrooms. And, <laughs> and it's hot and there's mud and it's too crowded. And they put on the helmets. And the helmets are basically virtual. We're attending this festival concert, but they're sitting on their couch. So Fred Armisen technically invented the Vision Pro. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah, he should uh, get a residual. Maybe eight years ago. So Mark Andreessen did a big post yesterday called Why AI Will Save the World. And I'll just give you the teaser. He, he, he spoke about why it's good, but he addressed head on the five main risks that people are getting hysterical about. Mm -hmm. Risk number one, will AI kill us all? Number two, Hopefully. will no. AI ruin our society? Will Maybe. AI take all our jobs? Yeah. Will AI lead to crippling inequality? Will AI lead to bad people doing good, that, doing bad things? That's the one that I don't like. They're going to do bad things anyway. Yeah, I know, sort of a cop but maybe, maybe gonna, quickly. Yeah, well, more quickly, maybe. I think I think so. But given that this is a financial podcast, okay. I wanted to spend time on number three. Oh, all right. Take all of our jobs. Okay. And here's what he said: the fear of job loss due variously to me mechanization, automation, computerization, or AI has been a recurring panic for right. hundreds of years since the original onset of machinery, such as the mechanical loom. Even though every new major technology has led to more jobs at higher wages throughout history, each wave of this panic is accompanied by claims that, quote, this time is different. This is the time it will finally happen. This is the technology that will finally deliver the hammer blow to human labor. And yet it never happens. Yeah, I, I believe that, actually. I actually believe that there are ways that you want. I mean, wouldn't it be great if people didn't have to do backbreaking, horrible jobs that are repetitive in nature? Well, this and, is more white collar office jobs. And again, yes. And yeah. also not have the young people banging out spreadsheets that are like, that's not really what you're using your brain for. You know, it's not, it doesn't. What about really the argument that if you get rid of all those jobs, then how, do, how does anyone start? If there's no entry level, then how do you get into a career? That's a good point. Yeah. But so people think linearly, okay, that job is disappearing. What do those people who have those jobs do without appreciating the fact that this will create new jobs? Exactly. That's what that I have to imagine. Every, envision what the new job is. We, 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 we can't. Every single time yep. that there's a leap, we can't envision. Well, so when, when GPS gap, came though, around, there's a gap though between when the new jobs are created yeah, and yeah. the old jobs are going of away. Of course. But that's, but that's when you really actually need public policy to swoop in here a little bit yeah, and yeah. say like, okay, let us not like make all these coal miners sit at home and do opioids and wish that they were back in a coal mine and not give them opportunity. Let's actually in 
intervene before these people are lost and sort of draying around society. So this, to me, is actually a solvable problem. We have experience. We just haven't decided as a society we want to. People will be displaced in the short term. There's no doubt about yeah. it. However, when GPS came out, you could never have imagined the, the iPhone and Uber and all of the new jobs that are created. Yeah, but you know what's funny about the iPhone? And, and I, you know, I, I uh, certainly understand that we are all able to do things from different places and in different ways. I don't work a lot less because of no, connectivity. Of in fact, I work a lot more. It's the opposite, yeah. and, and it is exhausting to always be on. Also, whatever the AI can't do, that becomes the focus of your new job. Oh, you have to do all the things. That, and then that that's how, that's why we have more productivity than ever and we're all working more than ever. Yeah. Well, I saw someone point out the other day that instead of you know, taking the backbreaking jobs, AI is like writing poetry and making music and doing art and, and stuff. And we get now. more backbreaking jobs. Yeah, instead of yeah. doing oh, I like that. That yeah. part, I don't know. Is AI going to be, going to create the golden age of content? I don't think anybody wants AI generated content. I mean, I'm really happy with my content. Uh, sorry about the writer's strike and all, but I mean, I, I guess that they'll get a deal and I don't know if AI is going to be, I mean, maybe, maybe there's going to be some Nobody great wants stuff, it. but AI, I don't think that AI couldn't have written the, the U.S. Constitution. You know what they're going to use? AI just takes things that already exist and recombines them in interesting ways. Yeah. AI does not have original thoughts. No, it's it doesn't predictive. have desires. So I forgot who said this, but um, Law and Order SVU yeah. can be written with 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 ChatGPT, and the writers can punch it up. Yeah. yeah, sure, that will happen. Yep. But new, I mean, who's to say? We'll see. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna get. Are, are you guys Succession fans? Oh yeah. Are you gonna get writing like that? No. Never. Impossible. And and in fact, and in fact, like you take my our favorite show is White Lotus. Um, he doesn't even have a I'm writer. learning a lot about you. He doesn't even have a writer's room. You love White Lotus. You must love yeah, it. of course. Except that, except, I mean, like, they, we, they treat gay men a little bit weirdly, but okay. Armand? He, he writes the show himself. He writes the show himself. You know, he's got a weird sto- backstory he's also. he's a gay man. Mike White? Yeah. What's the backstory? I think the backstory is his father was like, his parents were like a fundamentalist Christian of some sort, or maybe Mormon. Help, fact check! Um, <laughs> but religious. Yeah. And his father came out as gay late in life. That explains a lot. And, wow. Hello. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to get you on gay Twitter. You guys will learn a lot. There's a lot going on. <laughs> do you ha- is it a separate app or it's just what's... Uh, you have to intuit. I don't, I don't do the, tw- the Twitter anymore. I don't either. Um, tell me if you like this. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this. The House unanimously passed the bill to expand the accredited investor pool. Uh, I'll read this. This is uh, Mark Sheff from uh, Investment News. I have very mixed thoughts on this. Go ahead. Mm. House lawmakers Monday unanimously approved legislation that would increase the number of investors who could buy private securities by expanding the criteria beyond income and wealth. This is the Fair Investment Opportunities for Professional Experts Act and would deem as accredited people who have certain licenses or educational or professional backgrounds for instance, brokers and investment <laughs> advisors. That's funny. I'm sorry. So the idea is that only wealthy people who have two hundred thousand in annual income Silly. or a million dollars in net worth are able to invest in private securities. And what that does is it makes the rich richer. I would argue that's not true, but um, it's uh, keeping people who might have domain experience from being able to invest in something fine. because as of their income as, level. As long as they don't whine about their losses, I'm fine with it. Like, you want to give lose, your money away, fine. Money. Of course, exactly. on the one hand, I don't like that you have to have money to have access to some investment vehicles. On the other hand, 
the investment vehicles that are worthwhile on the private side are tiny. And unless you're a pension fund, you don't have access anyway. Exactly. So what is going to be left for people without a lot of Dregs. money is going to be shit. Yep. I mean, I just think that whole, those, those uh, levels are ridiculous now. Anyway, they haven't been moved in a long time, the 200 and a million. So well, We all could agree that just because you have a million dollars does not make you sophisticated. Um, but there's a racial component to this. It's, uh, the current, this is French Hill, who's a, a Republican from Arkansas. The current accredited investor rules favor the rich and the affluent over people who have knowledge that are working maybe in their own area of expertise. Go crazy. And then it effectively discriminates against someone who would be poor or potentially in a minority community. Hill said SEC statistics indicate that 1.3% of accredited investors are African-American and only 2.8% of accredited investors are Latino. Yeah, I mean, I get that. Um, It's not actually like something I actively worry about. But yes, I understand that. You know, there's a woman, you guys should interview her. She is phenomenal. Knock your socks off. Her name is Dorothy K. Brown. She wrote a book called The Whiteness of Wealth. Mm. She tra- she traces a lot of, um, of the economic inequality to the tax code. And she went, did a deep dive as to how this actually developed. And so do I think that, you know, the wealth disparity is a huge issue? Yes. Do I think that the solve is, yeah, let's let more people be accredited more investors? No, come on. Ridiculous. I agree with you. Uh, so, it sounds like, it sounds like we agree on what you just said. Like, should there be like arbitrary laws that you have? To, probably not. Yeah. But it also is not going to help them either. It's not going to help you. Yeah. But it's okay yeah. if you think there's a man behind the curtain. Good luck. I yeah. I, 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 vis- I, vis- I saw Wicked and I saw The Wizard of Oz <laughs> and I know how they both end. Uh, Citadel pays its interns five thousand dollars a week. Oh my effing god! I should I should my friend works at and Citadel. provides free housing in NYC. Mm-hmm. Um, the caveat to this is they end up hiring most of them. So All this right. is more like a glorified. Uh, is, is orientation. This after, but is this is a summer after junior year college students. Is that what it is? I don't know. Here, this is New York Post, of course. <laughs> a summer internship at record. Citadel offers perks that include a salary up to $5,000 a week, free corporate housing uh, in one of 10 different world financial centers like New York, and an opening retreat at the Four Seasons in South Florida. This oh, is, I'm sold. Yeah. Billionaire <laughs> Ken Griffin's hedge fund, which has $58 billion in assets, picks a crop of 300 interns for their summer program out of a pool of 69,000 applicants. Nice. An acceptance rate of 0.5%, which wow. probably— Wow. All right, here's where the interns come from. Nassau Community College. Stop. Uh, yeah. uh, My alma mater. Undergraduate STEM programs at elite universities such as MIT, UC Berkeley, Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, and you know, UT. Can I just say one thing about this guy? I know he's smart. Say more than one thing. Uh, First of all, what a failure of imagination. He gave $300 million to Harvard. There's no one else who deserves his money. Like, yeah. I don't get these people. Yeah. And secondly, like, even if this is true, whatever, who's, it's such garbage anyway. Yes, okay, you, you, you're you elitist, great. Um, and you're, you're very, you care so much about making the world a better place that you can't even say, you know what I've done? I've really decided I'm going to all the historically black universities and I'm going to endow the shit out of those schools. He might, and you don't hear about it. Look, I don't- Oh, you'd hear about it if he did it. <laughs> don't, I don't worry. Think, I don't think his persona is like, I'm trying to make the world a better place. You know what he is? He's a very big law and order guy. Hmm. And I think it's one of the main reasons why he's not in Chicago anymore. Hmm. And he wants to live in like a clean, prosperous city. I think he believes in like creating opportunities for people. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's trying to uh, turn one person into another. He's looking for the best of the best. 
and these kids are geniuses. Mm. And like, he's not starting, he's not trying to start from raw material. He's trying to start from geniuses and then put those geniuses to work for him. I, I just, um, I get it. I'm not I saying know, it's great. I'm I just, get it. It, it just, it's, uh, it's disheartening to me that you have all that wealth and you don't want to make the world a better place. Hey, listen to this. Every year, Griffin addresses the interns at the opening retreat in Florida. Can you imagine? <laughs> uh, the interns. Is this are what then, you do at Ritholtz? Yeah. The interns are then sent to their base of operations. Oh, my God. Their base of operations. Where they are mentored by a manager who guides them in, quote, deep dive quantitative trading simulations. At the end of 11 weeks, a majority of interns are offered a full-time position with the company. So that makes more sense then. Yeah. Cause they're, they're like, it's like your onboarding process, basically. Imagine you lose. Imagine you do 11 weeks there and your parents are so proud of you and you're like, they didn't pick me. <sighs> what's, wrong, what's wrong with you? Oh, you're going to millennium. Loser. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jill, do you have fun on the show today? Yeah, but I got to tell you, I got a few little graphs for you that I thought were fun. Roll them up. Let's do it. Um, I got a chart that is about how much... Uh, equity people have in their homes. Oh, and how insane. Where is this? Let Check me see this. this out. Check this out. How is this possible? It is insane. So we're looking at homeowners equity in real estate as a percentage of GDP, uh -huh. which is hockey sticking higher right yeah. now. It is over 100% of GDP. Yeah. And then home mortgage liabilities yeah. as a percentage of GDP, which are somehow falling. I know. What I, is this? I mean, this is, so this is from uh, my friend, Mark Spindell, who is a highfalutin money manager. He used to run the bond portfolio for the World Bank, and he ran all sorts of, you know, hedge fundish things. He says to me, the thing that is never captured appropriately is just how much wealth people have in their homes, how low their mortgages yeah. are, how that's locked in. And don't even, don't sweat it. We are not going into a recession anytime soon if that chart holds. So we have more than GDP in equity value. Yeah. That's just incredible. in our houses. That's insane. Wild. Okay, so then I decided. Let me talk to uh, Eeyore, another someone else who's a little more downtrodden. So I talked to my dear college pal Alicia Living. So I went to school with Mark Spindell. He sent me that one at high school with him. And uh, now Alicia Levine is the head. I got her title, head of investment strategy at BNY Wealth Management. You'd mm. love her. Uh, and so here she is, this leading indicators. Okay. She wrote to me, her text, over the last 75 years, when LEI has gotten to this level, it has always, all caps, led to a recession. LEI is leading economic indicators. Yeah. So she's a little bit more downtrodden. And she says, you know, we got, we have caution. And uh, she's worried. She thinks that, you know, we're seeing... Uh, bank willingness to lend to consumers falling, that this is going to be a problem. Oh, I point this out to you because I'm not so smart to come up with these beautiful charts. But what I can tell you is if you want to find a bear case, a recession case, you will find it. And if you want to find a bull case, you will find it. And at the end uh, of the day, at the end of the day, in your real life, everyone here who's watching and knows this, it's not going to make a difference. You keep doing what you guys say to do. Put your money away. Don't mess up. Get on with your life. Get on with your life. Don't get, if this is fun, this fun show is so much fun. I would come on every quarter and I would like to lock that down right now. <laughs> Business guy, let's talk. Um, I do a great oh, read. Met, oh, you met Robbie? Yeah, okay. I, I do a great read. Uh, but I will say that the idea of looking at this stuff at such a intense level, the reason why you guys are amazing and you guys really, you are like, 
magical when you're on the air together. You're great together. You're great with guests. Some of your guests suck, but whatever. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but the it's your because you make this stuff fun and entertaining. Oh, thank you. Right, and this is we what try. this is why people like you. But the for your real lives, people don't need to freak out about well, this, this is stuff. The whole, you know, we started the blogs, and the idea behind the blogs was let's just do common sense context. We don't go on the blogs and say there's a a, a crash coming or they're like we're not doing things for attention. What we're basically saying is like, okay, this week everybody's worried about the trade war. Let's go back and look at stocks, bonds during the last few trade wars. How did the economy do? How long did they last? What was the after? And when we do that for people, we help them make better decisions with all the information. And so much of the information in the financial media is complete bullshit yep. because it's being put out there with an agenda for attention. So that was the idea behind the blogs. We tried to do this and bring this to YouTube and I think we're doing it and podcasting. And like, even now we were talking about a guy today. He's got a YouTube channel with a million subs. You look at the thumbnails of all his videos. He's doing the Kevin from home alone face. Like it's garbage. It's garbage. Like his titles are like, is the stock market going to zero? And his face is like, you know, like with his hands on his cheeks. But legit almost 2 million subs. But okay. he's doing it on every video and he's, a, and he's, I get what he's doing. He's attracting attention and people are subscribing and every week he scares them with some new bullshit. He doesn't yep. believe in any of it. Yep. The content isn't even that good, but that shit works on YouTube. Here's, this is the great Jason Zweig. Um, three ways to get paid. Uh, where is this? You know, I think what's fascinating about that is I had someone come on the show, sent me an email and sent me this, an Instagram, same thing. Like, and so I said, let me, See, like nobody does this in real life, right? So I'm like, who is this guy who has, you know, hundreds of thousands of subscribers on Instagram? And I look him up and he works for an insurance company. Oh, shockingly, he thinks that you should, everyone should buy whole life insurance. I mean, I can't okay, it. shocking. And then I go look and I'm like, is this guy licensed? Yeah. No, he's not licensed. He runs marketing for this life insurance company. Right. So if Gary Gensler wants to actually do something, stop screwing around with accredited investor and not. And I really don't even care that much about like, so yes, regulate crypto, but crack down on this baloney. This oh, is nonsense. Well, so These the, people who just prattle on about nothing and they have a, no licenses. It's a pandemic era phenomenon where a lot of people became overnight finance experts on TikTok and Instagram. And they built huge followings, but like, I, you can only trick people so many times. Well, actually, I wish that were the case because it's not true. And let me let me appropriately quote what Jason's wife. Trick people over and over. Again? There's a lot of there's a lot of people to trick. Yeah. That's true. You can't trick. There's a, a lot of people so to trick. Here's the actual quote ones. from Jason's wife. There are three ways to make a living. Number one, lie to people who want to be lied to, and you'll get rich. That's who, what we were just talking about. Yeah. Number two, tell the truth to those who want the truth, and you'll make a living. Number three, tell the truth to those who want to be lied to, and you'll go broke. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, I think, that, is that him or is that's that him Jason. quoting somebody that's else? That's him. Um, so, uh, is that his father? He's quoting his father. Jason is a national treasure. He is. Yes. I'm sure you agree. I love him. Uh, all right, well, we we had a blast having you on the show today. We're going to do favorites. Okay. And then we're going to let you back out into the apocalyptic uh, smoke fog. What do I you mean, call it? What are we calling I this? I called it the zombie apocalypse. It was, did you see that picture I sent you? Yeah. From, from, that it's was unbelievable. so crazy. I don't know. I'm feeling a little bit weird it's about it. actually a song, Orange Sky. Who's there that? There was a group Ale that Alexi was called- Alexi Murdoch? Yes. Holy familiar. smokes. It is Alexi it is, Murdoch. Right? I used to have a yoga instructor who was obsessed with you Alexi know the song? Murdoch. 
We can't play it? Yeah, it's... Um, we definitely can't play it. They were using it in a lot of movie trailers yes, back in the day. they did. It's like a great... Yes. Can you just hum it? Oh, no, no. I don't think he can. <laughs> I was thinking more like the movie The Mist. You know? Well, uh, that's a little bit scarier. No, but the, the sky is, for, to narrate for people, it's a sunny day behind the smoke, so the sky is orange. Right, there is, so the, there is like a, a brownish haze that has yeah. fallen across New York City. Yeah. It started this morning. In I, in it, it came from Quebec. It came, which well, is very fancy with suspect. your pre- pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. I said Canada. There's a uh, whiff of brie in the air. Ah, uh, there's a little looniness <laughs> that's going on. So, uh, and, and so then- because of the way the the sun was uh, sort of above New York City today, it looked orange in yeah. the sky against that sort of um, muted brownish okra color. My daughter's taking prom photos tomorrow, mm. and you think this is still going to be what the air looks like? I don't know, but I heard That's that, that there was a prom right? situation, and I was going to show you my prom picture to have you put it up in oh front of God. everybody, but I refuse to do that and embarrass myself <laughs> totally. But I will anyway. All right, so here's my favorite thing this week. Do it. Um, Aaron Levy, he's the CEO of Box or founder of Box, tweeted, pretty amazing confluence of new technologies all landing at the same time. Haven't seen a period like this for a decade and a half when we had cloud and mobile emerge together. Never a better time to be building software. And uh, it is- What is he talking? He's talking about AI and the visual pro. So it is easy to be pessimistic. Uh, I think, you know, that's just where our brains go. What's, you know, the worst is going to come. When I saw Apple's event this week, which you could watch on YouTube, the commercial, it really like blew me away. And I am so excited for the future of that technology. I'm not going to be a buyer at this price point, but for the future of what is coming, like I can't wait to sit next courtside on my couch. And you also would rather sit courtside anyway, though, probably. True. Okay. But if I can't do do that. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's expansive in terms of inclusivity in that respect that more people like you don't have to be – I was going to say a funny name, but I won't say it. But you don't have to be Spike Lee to be courtside uh, anymore. We could have have fans feel like they're sitting here in the room for our show, whatever podcast they like. Business guy, write that down. Great idea. No, but like that's where this stuff is going. I totally agree. Uh, Jill, you got a favorite for us? I have two things. I'm obsessed with Julia Louis-Dreyfus's new podcast. I didn't know she had one. Oh my God. It's called Wiser Than Me. And for English majors out there, you might say it should be wiser than I. It, mm. which, but that's the point. It's okay. Yeah. She interviews women who pretty much don't have a voice in the society. So I presume that nobody in your audience cares about this. But if you like her, she is hysterical. Just listen to a little bit of her interview with Jane Fonda. Okay. It will blow your mind. Really? She is freaking unbelievable. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus is hysterical and off the cuff. And she's a great interviewer. Well, the thing with podcasts is you you don't even have to care about the subject matter. You have to like the person. Yeah. You have to be in. Yes. That's, how, that's like a pre-rack. All right. My second thing, are you ready for my suck up? Yes. Uh, CBS News asked oh. me to participate in Pride Month. They sent this thing out. They're like, hey, gay people at the organization, like write an essay yeah. about Pride. And um, and they use it in a segment. So I didn't just come out on your show, but I came out to 3 million people um, on June 1st. And it was it's the first time you were on CBS's air talk, talking about that. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I would never have a reason to. So that's the beginning of the Good segment. And there's Gail doing the intro, and um, and there I am. Oh, wow. And that's Jackie, and oh, that's a college friend, and that's my dad, and that's my sister, oh, and that's me, like really coming out. And um, so what was kind of cool about it 
was how many people responded to me. Like, I mean, there's haters everywhere, but like there are people across the organization in, you know, affiliates in the middle of the country who maybe are not out and they were so into it. And it was like, were they like, I've been a fan of yours all this time. No, I have no idea. No, or it was what are like, I can't believe you did that. And that is so meaningful to me. Okay. And you mean it, you're doing this means something to me and me as gay director in Chicago, in uh, Dubuque or whatever. And it's amazing to me to think like, it didn't seem like that big a deal yeah. when I was doing it. Like, whatever, you know, and I'm like the old fart there anyway. So the younger ones have much better stories than I do. But, you know, like I came out in the middle of AIDS. I came out when like the the world hated gay people in a very overt way. Now they just hate trans people, not just gay people. So they, we're more expansive yeah, now. Yeah. But, uh, you know. There's plenty of room for all the hate. I, I know. There's let no, the haters no, hate. No shortage. And, you know, <laughs> it's weird because one of the reasons I stopped, I, I got off social media was uh or like probably around 2016, 17, I started getting super homophobic and anti-Semitic stuff thrown at me. Yeah. And I was like, I don't need this. Like, I don't need to be part of this. I don't need to defend this. This was like a moment where it was like, like it really meant something. Yeah. So it was great. It was like a great oh, feeling. And I want to thank my bosses for that. Good for you. I'm going to, I'm going to watch that clip. Um, so it's great that you got a great response for it. Yeah. Too. Like that's. I mean, haters too, but. Well, whatever. Hater's gonna hate, right? This is life. Um, Did you see this Elvis movie? No, tell me about this. All right. I I was not into this when it first came out. Mm -hmm. I was like, skip. Um, It's one, I think it's one of the best movies of the decade so far. Really? Yeah, I really do. Did you see it? Whoa. I watched 20 minutes, but I'm not saying it was bad. I just, I didn't. You're actually not a good candidate for this. Um, but no, it's not, no disrespect. It's not your kind of movie. What are you talking about? It's not your kind of movie. It's one of the best movies of the decade. You're not, your opinion doesn't count? No, not your opinion doesn't count. You're not the type of person that I think would like it. You don't like cinema. That's not f***ing cinema. Elvis? (laughs) It's not a documentary about Elvis. It's a cinematic feature film. It's Baz Luhrmann. He makes like over the top spectacle musical movies. Yes. It's not for you. That would be for me. It's not. It's not even for me, but I appreciated the history in it. And I think they really went above and beyond to demonstrate how much he stole from the black community, married that with country music, and how much he got away with in that era because he was a white guy doing this on television. They would never have let – I think they had uh, Chuck Berry in the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had – B.B. King was one of his earlier – Hmm. was one of his early mentors. They would never have been on television the Top way that Elvis 10. was. Better than Scream 6? I mean, honestly, if you finish, <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> if you finish the movie and watch this, this arc of young Elvis becoming dead Elvis and everything that happened in between, I think you would look at it from that standpoint and say, this is a pretty big achievement. They captured like the whole Elvis story in an hour and a half. That's kind of cool. I, I would be into well. that. I mean, I, I have heard a lot about that um, – you know, the Ken Burns documentary was like the series on PBS about country music had yeah. an aspect of that, had a part of it like about Elvis and about how the some of the country music people who sort of borrowed from the African-American traditions and brought it forward and how they kind of merged those two things. Right. But you're absolutely right. They would never have made it. I'm going to watch that. So and where Josh is that? Right. So, he, so he causes a riot and they basically tell him, you've destroyed your image. Almost like when Justin Bieber went through that phase where it was like over the top. Mm-hmm. It, so they said to they said to him, like, basically your career is done. 
They're not going to play your records anymore. You pissed off the Christians. You pissed off the the police. You pissed off. So they were like, and by the way, Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker is a huge bonus. And it's such a strange role for him. Um, but so Tom Hanks is basically like, there's only one option. You have to go into the army. And they send him to Germany. And that's where he meets Priscilla. And uh, he comes back and he becomes a Hollywood actor. But they like show you every phase of his career and what was going on in the country hmm. that kind of like dictated it almost. I will say, Josh, you're right. I haven't. I have not seen Walk the Line. I have not seen Ray or Rocket Man. Yeah, I don't Man. think this is your. I am not a music biopic guy. I like to see the the Queen one, but you're right, not for the me. Queen one was great, but this Walk the really Line good. was great also. I know people love that movie. Mm. Anyway, that's my favorite. All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna hit this babka hard. <laughs> <laughs> right. We have two and a half Jews in the house, so let's see what we can do. All right, everybody, listen. Thank you so much for 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 watching the show, for listening to the show. Make sure you leave us reviews and ratings and likes um all new stuff in the compound merch store that's i don't shop.com the new compound and friends towel is now available it's a hot item is it a hot hot item that's what i'm hearing yeah people are really feeling the towel yeah i mean it's summer it's yeah. summer uh i don't shop.com for the latest in financial blogger apparel our special thanks to jill schlesinger great job john duncan sean Nicole, Rob, everyone working behind the scenes to make the show what it is. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next week. Amazing. Amazing. So much fun. That was, that's like, that was right, an hour and a half. Was, that was the dress rehearsal. Yeah, were you ready to go? Yeah. Let's <laughs> Everybody's do it. feeling good now? Woo! Chill, you're awesome.